want to thank Linda for that beautiful number. We're all waiting for that call of our name, and we will answer that call. Let's bow our heads. Father, this morning as we open your word, as we contemplate the depth, the depth of your sacrifice, as we consider the um, plan that you have laid out for us to sustain us until you come, may our hearts be broken, open, and healed. As I pray in Christ's name, amen. I'd like to speak with you a few moments today in preparation for our services under the title, Jesus Christ Formula for Inner Peace. I'd like you to take your Bibles and turn with me to the book of Matthew. We'll go to the 11th chapter. That's Matthew chapter 11, considering verses 28 to 30. If you have found it, please say amen. Reading from the King James Version. Come unto me all that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly of heart. We talked about that since Sabbath school. Thank you for that, Steve. And ye shall find rest unto your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I'd like to consider this from a couple other translations. Those same verses read, um, written in the New International Reader's Version read like this. Come unto me all you that are tired and carrying heavy loads. I will give you rest for my servants, or because my servants will become, I'm sorry, my servants, and learn of me. I am gentle and free of pride. You will find rest in your souls. Serving me is easy, and my load is light. What are the loads that we carry? Are they actual physical loads, or are they mental loads? What are we heavy laden with? Is it guilt, anxiety, worry? What is the rest Christ is talking about? Is it freedom, peace of mind? Contentment. I also looked at this same text in another translation, the Amplified Bible. I really like how the Amplified Bible literally amplifies um, text. Reading that same text in the Amplified Bible. Come, unto, come to me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, 
and overburdened that I will cause you to rest. I will ease and relieve and refresh your souls. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am gentle, and in parentheses it says meek and humble, lowly in heart, and you will find rest, relief, and ease and refreshment and recreation and blessed quiet for your soul. Isn't that amazing? For my yoke is wholesome, useful, good, not harsh, hard, sharp, or pressing, but comfortable, gracious, and pleasant. My burdens are light and easy to be borne. Now, we often hear the term, it's a biblical term, we don't, in our modern society, we don't think of what a yoke is. What was a yoke used for? It was placed usually on oxen or animals to help lead and guide them, is that correct? To give direction and purpose. Now, when you look at a yoke, you see this heavy piece of wood that's laid across oxen. But you have to bear in mind that oxen, animals that are 700,000 pounds, you want to be able to control the energy and the power that are in those uh, animals. And so a yoke was placed between the two of them to allow them to be led and guide. Um, often we talk about energy. And then there's a term called synergy, where two parts or more working together are stronger than the single part working alone. So our combination of working you and I with God together is stronger, much stronger than us ever working alone. Talked about burdens. What is Christ's burden? His burden he gives to us is the responsibility to yield to him. It's our commitment to do that. I'd also like you to turn with me to the book of Galatians. The sixth chapter. The sixth chapter, considering verses 1 through 3. And when you have found it, say amen. Galatians 6, verses 1 to 3. This is a commission for us as a church. And it says, Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye, which are spiritual, restore such and one to spiritual, to in a spirit of meekness, considering thyself, te- lest thou also be tempted. 
bear one another burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if a man think himself to be something when he is nothing, he deceiveth himself. Same verse, same verses in the New International Reader's Version. Speaking to us as a church family, brothers and sisters, what if someone is caught in sin? Then you are to guide, are guided by the Spirit. Then you who are guided by the Spirit should correct that person. Do it in a gentle way. But be careful. You could be tempted to carry each other's heavy loads. If you do, you will give the law of Christ its full meaning. If you think that you are somebody, when you are nobody, you are fooling yourselves. For if you should put on your own actions to the test, each of you should put your own actions to the test, then you can take pride in yourself. You won't be comparing yourself to someone else. Each of you should carry your own load. We're talking about Jesus Christ's formula for inner peace. Now sin, at its base, we have defined as what? Separation from God. So sin, separating ourselves from God, triggers anxiety, leads to the weight of guilt, depression, thoughts of suicide, death. The formula for breaking the cycle begins with the liberating process of surrender and confession. Seeking forgiveness of those you have offended, accepting God's forgiveness, leading to more, leading to a more peaceful existence on this earth in anticipation of our heavenly home. The question needs to be asked, do we fully appreciate the awesome opportunity and privilege that is provided to each of us by our heavenly Father through participation in the ordinances of humility, the Last Supper, to free ourselves from the burdens of life, whatever they may be, on a regular basis, the opportunity to begin free, clean, and new with the Lord's commission, as oft as ye do this, you do in remembrance of me. You know, the devil takes advantage of our sinful natures and burdens us down with guilt, driving a wedge between us and God. Is that true? Personal battles, seldom shared with others, even families or spouses, become tools of the devil to whip us with guilt. Confession leading to asking for forgiveness, becomes difficult. A difficult, conflicting process rather than a liberating process it was ordained to be. 
We so often become engrossed in the cycle of attempting to do all this by ourselves, alone, because of the insecurity of trusting others. It can become a lonely, isolating, never-ending battle, struggle leading to depression and even suicide. Is that true? But in Christ Jesus, there's a solution. And the church also has a responsibility. The biblical commission is for us to bear one another's burdens in humility and love. In order to do that, the church must cultivate an environment, an atmosphere of support, trust, and acceptance. In preparing for this, I reviewed a number of studies and statistics regarding suicide. We just finished studying uh, this quarter, The Fruits of the Spirit. In looking at these statistics, there were a number of factors that that came out that led individuals to contemplate uh, suicide. Many of those including depression, guilt, um, a sense of loss, a loss of a sense of hope, But there was an interesting factor that underlied almost all of these as I looked at statistics uh, regarding the concept or the the issue of suicide as it relates to church. And what was found is that individuals who have an active religious involvement the statistics across the board were lower for those. So it's a relationship with the Father through the Holy Spirit that sustains us, gives us a hope, gives us a way out. As I mentioned, we had talked about throughout this last quarter the fruits of the Spirit and throughout this whole quarter's a Sabbath school lesson which are an outgrowth of a relation with Jesus Christ through the Holy Spirit. Again, as Steve so clearly pointed out in the study this morning, the emphasis is that the fruits are an outgrowth result of the relationship with Jesus Christ. in and of themselves, they are not necessarily lasting. But it's because of our connection. The illustration we use of the vine. It's because of our connection of the branches to the vine that they are manifested. Again, I want to emphasize, it's an outgrowth. So, when we exhibit patience, meekness, love, kindness, self-control, goodness, righteousness, peace, faithfulness, truth. These are all characteristics, Christian characteristics, 
of our relationship with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. In the Collegiate Quarterly for this quarter's lessons was this uh, quotation on March the 14th. It said this, the fruit make up a person's character. They are what the person does. Thus, our transformation of character, when we live by God's law, makes evidence the fruit of the Spirit. Obeying his word frees us from guilt, condemnation, and pain, because Jesus will replace that void with his fruit or character, which, which is composed of love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, self-control. In Galatians 5, uh, verses 22 and 23, we find these words. And if you found it, say amen. It tells us here, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such things there is no law. In spite of our sinful natures, Many of us are capable of exhibiting good characteristic good character character traits, excuse me, at times in our lives. However, most of us can be and are blinded by our weakness of character causing caused by sin. Um, Judas, the rich, rich the rich young ruler, were generally good people. We want, however, to be fruit without being connected to divine at times. That's our natural nature. We want the appearance of being good on the outside rather than the goodness that comes from within. How many of us plan for God rather than letting God through the Holy Spirit plan for us? I'm guilty I know that I am. I think we're having problems with this mic, though. Would it be better if I use this? We keep getting that feedback. This cuts this off. Is this better? Okay. Maybe we can avoid the feedback. Um, in our human nature, we become self-sufficient taking the attitude that we are capable of doing it all by ourselves and that our plans are better than God's plans for us. Can we be guilty of attempting to force the hand of God by running ahead of him as Judas attempted to do? We've, especially at this time when we are considering the emblems of God's built blood, participating in the ordinance of Humility, we look at the story uh, that is part of that whole 
scenario of Judas and of Peter. After their sinful, self-centered natures were exposed, Peter allowed himself to become vulnerable. His heart was broken, realizing his need for a savior, confessed and surrendered. Judas, on the other hand, did not allow himself to become vulnerable, surrender or admit his nature. And because of it, he destroyed himself. You know the story well. Judas wanted to get ahead of God. He saw Christ as a king here on this earth. And he took it upon himself to plan how that was going to happen. Judas was a very organized individual. In fact, you know the story. He took care of the finances for the disciples. Whenever there was a need to um, take care of business for the disciples, Judas was the one to do that. He was an organized individual. He continued to fight against the oppression that the Romans um, inflicted upon the children of Israel. He saw in Christ the opportunity on earth to set up the kingdom and get away under, out of the oppression of the Romans. And so he took it upon himself to push the envelope. He made the negotiations, as you know, with the priests to uh, give Christ up to the Romans. At the same time, all along thinking, because he had witnessed Christ's power, his ability to work miracles, what he did in the world, in the community. He was on the boat when the Lord walked on water, saw Peter walk on the water. He knew the power of God. He was sure that if he stepped ahead of God, that Christ, when it came down to it, he gave them up to the Romans. He would exert his divine heavenly power and it would set up the kingdom here on earth. And when that did not happen, Judah's pride kept him from the ability to confess and surrender. And we know the results. He hung himself. We on this sinful earth often take marked periods of our life by significant events of death. For the World War II generation, Pearl Harbor, the Holocaust are significant events. For my generation, the baby boomer generation, the assassinations of John Kennedy in 1963, Martin Luther King and Bobby Kennedy uh, in 1968 are significant events. For our current generation, 9-11 is a significant event. We can often remember where we were, what was going on, what happened to us during that time. And then in our personal lives, 
there are significant events, events that leave indelible impressions. On next week, we are observing Easter, uh, during which the Christian community commemorates the Passion Week of Christ and ending in his death and resurrection. I want to end with a story. This story, in many respects, is the polar opposite of Christ's death and contrasts the lives of Peter and Judas. Really, the only similarity is that they both happen over a weekend. The only one, in only one, however, there is a Sunday morning. I'm very close to this story because it happened to a very dear friend of mine. It was on a Friday evening a number of years ago, and I can't even remember the, the exact year it was. I had left work. I had gone downstairs in the building where our offices were to the lobby. I was either going out to get the bus to go home or wait for Joyce. I don't even remember what it was. And as I got to the bottom, I turned around and looked up the escalator. And coming down the escalator at that time were two United States attorneys, Kenneth Parker and Richard Olson. They were uh, kind of a contrasting pair. Kenneth Parker was about my height, blue eyes, blonde hair. Uh, his partner or fellow attorney, uh, Richard Olson, was every bit of 6'9 to 6'10. Sometimes called him Mutton Jeff. Even though Kenneth was fairly tall, but next to, to Richard, it was amazing uh, the difference. Kenneth Parker, I should say both of them were supervisors in the United States Attorney's Office. One was over a unit of um, fraud, embezzlement crimes, and other was over general crimes. A ver very distinct professional uh, personalities. But I want to concentrate on, this, on Ken Parker. Ken was an individual that, in his presence, you always felt comfortable. He was your friend. Piercing blue eyes that, when you were with him, you were the center of his attention. Always had a kind word want to know about your family, would, in our terminology here on the island, would talk story. Want to know how your family was, how you were doing, how life was treating you. Even the defendants that he prosecuted on more occasions than one said, you know, in their confessions perhaps, you know I was wrong, but you treated me like a human being. He was that kind of individual. Um, well-respected, well-liked, a good friend. That Friday evening, he and Richard Olson went home. 
um, had a couple drinks together. They had a social engagement the next day. And so they parted, went their separate way. Well, Richard Olson went to the social engagement that Saturday. And as he was leaving, he said, I wonder what happened to Ken. He didn't show up. So he called him. Phone rang, nothing happened. They were good friends. So they had keys to each other's houses. Richard went by the house, knocked on the door, no answer. Hmm, this is strange. So he let himself in, walked in. Everything seemed to be in place and normal and so forth. Still didn't see him. He hadn't answered his phone. Car was in the driveway. What's going on here? Walked to the backyard and found Ken in a pool of blood. He had committed suicide. Steve, you'll appreciate this. You know, some people will take pills and so forth. Ken had taken a razor and sliced his arm here in the main veins and bled to death. We came to work Monday morning to the news and were shocked. Could not believe it. Wouldn't have suspected that by any means from Ken. He didn't appear depressed, didn't act that way. I mean, we knew some of his history. Uh, he was divorced, as was Richard. Uh, his daughter had had a very troubling adolescence. In fact, at one point, burned their house down. But they had rebuilt the house. He was living in it. Um, they had gone to counseling. And although divorced, they were still in an amicable relationship. Daughter was in college. We were shocked. As the, sto the story further uh, unraveled and the investigation was going on, uh, Richard Olson went back into the house. And on Ken's desk were his insurance papers, his mortgage papers, plans for his college, her, his daughter's college education, all in order. There was a letter written to the family. Not a scribbled note, a detailed letter saying goodbye. They were amazed. For some reason, and we don't know to this day, and of course the letter was personal, so we don't know all the contents of it, but we know that it was written to the family. When they went back to his office and looked at his pending cases, looking for a reason or, or why he would do something like this, they find all his cases were in perfect order. There were notes with regard to the progress of each case. what needed to be happen next, what needed to be closed, who to contact, all that was in immaculate, perfect order. He lived a life that was, for all intents and purposes on the, the outside, a man in his prime. He was a Catholic. I don't know if he was a practicing Catholic, and I know those that have some Catholic background know the issues with regard to, to suicide and last rites. 
But they had a, a, a funeral for him, and I attended that funeral. There must have been 700 to 1,000 people there. And he received his last rites. But I've often questioned what was missing in his life to cause him to do that. Why in the prime of your life, the top of your game, well-respected, aggressive, outgoing individual to commit suicide. What was missing? I don't have an answer today for him, but I think that there may be an answer for us. And that comes in God's formula, Jesus Christ's formula for inner peace. Our confession, our yielding to his spirit, and allowing him to lead day to day, moment by moment in our lives. As we depart and participate in the ordinances of humility today and then come back and participate in the emblems of God's broken body and spilt blood for our cleansing. We need to realize the opportunity for us who walk with Christ that we have to renew Recleanse, start anew, and refresh. Yes, we fall, but we know we have a source that we can turn to. I would just like to leave you with five tips for dealing with guilt. We know guilt is an emotional warning sign that most people learn through their normal childhood and social development. Its purpose is to let us know when we have done something wrong, to help us develop a better sense of our behavior and how it affects ourselves and others. All this is not supported by biblical texts. There are biblical texts for each of these. Number one, recognize the kind of guilt you have and its purpose. Number two, make amends or changes sooner or rather than later. Is that biblical? Number three, accept, accept you did something wrong, but move on. And I included that, accept God's forgiveness. <coughs> what do we do so often? If we confess it, we drag it along. You know the commercial that's on a TV? Uh, it has to do with smoking. But it's the same thing with guilt. You know, the, the, the young man or the young woman is trying to kick the habit of smoking. She can't do it. And it's a weight that's dragging her down. That's what we so often do with guilt. We confess it. 
it's eating us up. We ask for forgiveness. Do we accept the Lord's forgiveness? Do we understand that? We drag it along behind us. As I indicated, make amends for change sooner rather than later. Than later. Number three, accept that you did something wrong. Move on. Accept God's forgiveness. Number four, learn from your behavior. And lastly, on this earth, as sinful human beings, perfection doesn't exist in anyone alone. Only through who? Christ. If we would but surrender, follow the simple formula of asking for forgiveness from others, accept God's forgiveness for us, and then bask in the love that he exhibits to each of us, we can fulfill, live a fulfilled and peaceful life here on this earth until the Lord's coming. We're going to separate at this time for our ordinances of humility. We thank the deacons for, and deaconesses for the preparation on the lower building. They have set up rooms for male, female, and couples. We participate in an open communion here. We invite um, all of you to participate. As soon as we finish there, we'll come back and we will uh, go through the services of receiving uh, the emblems of his body and spilled blood. Uh, the children, they usually plan for a children's story during that time, so if young ones want to remain here in the church, that will be provided. Uh, at this time, we'll separate and go to the lower building.